Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my diabolic co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be answering some of your questions. We finished the Diablo series uh, as far as Diablo 4 goes, and now it's time to, to take some of your questions that you have been giving us over the last several weeks. Uh, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify the show it's for. If you don't want to send us an email, you can hit us up on Discord. Uh, we have one set aside for everyone, which is the Q&A podcast questions channel. And if you are a Patreon supporter, as a way of saying thank you, and uh, we, we kind of look there first. Uh, after all, you help keep the lights on. Uh, it's the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. Again, specify what show it's for. I'd say tweet at us, but I believe we are currently in the uh, heat death stage of Twitter, so that your results may vary or be uh, uh, inconsistent. So stick with the emails or Discord. Uh, first up, we have a question from Dai Kaiju. Is the Eternal Conflict just the original Anu trying to pull itself back together? That is a very good question, since, uh, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before. Anu was the perfect being that existed when the universe was new, essentially, in Diablo. Uh, wanting to make itself more perfect, it split itself in twain into the Diamond Warrior and Tathamet, uh, a seven-headed demon dragon thing. Um, and... The conflict ensued, as conflict does when you divide yourself into that, which created the uh, sanctuary from the, uh, the crystal arch and spine from the body of, of Anu, and then the burning hells, which happened to be from the body of Tathamet, the seven, seven greater evils, the three prime and three lessers, uh, all are said to be heads or aspects of uh, the seven heads of Tathamet. 
but there is this thing. Do we think that, you know, this eternal conflict, this eternal collision towards each other is Anu trying to reconstitute itself? Matt, what do you think? No, I do not. Okay. What I think is going on is a lot more complicated than just trying to stitch itself back together. Um, for starters, uh, first thing I'm going to throw out you there is what was Anu? Like, we don't actually know anything yeah. more than the most general, vague answer to that question. Anu was an entity that existed before the entire creation of everything we see in, in the Diablo series. Anu existed in a place that was not any place we've got because all the places we've got were born out of Anu's death. Um, Anu chose to remove from itself everything it considered negative and what was left, it, we call the Diamond Warrior, but we don't even know what the Diamond Warrior looked like other than a few sketches in like a, the Book of Cain or what, or what have you that sort of show like a little tiny like armored diamond figure up against this vast Tathomet figure. And we don't know, like when you're asking, is this, is this Anu's attempt to reconstitute itself? We don't even know if Anu wants to, or needs to reconstitute itself. One of the things I've been thinking about is a line that said, if you're playing a necromancer in D4 and thanks to Liz Harper, our EIC uh, for, for pointing this one out to me. And it's had me thinking ever since where Rothma is said to have said to another necromancer that he saw death as a transformation. We know that Rothma, before he was Rothma, was Lenarian, the, the child of Lilith and Inarius, and as such, the first of the Nephilim. As the first of the Nephilim, he was the first being to contain within himself good and evil, you know, positive and negative emotions since Anu himself itself because we don't even know if Anu had a gender or if it had all genders at once. We really not something we can really talk about. So I think about this every time I think about the fact that at the moment that the world stone, the eye of Anu was used to create sanctuary as wielded by an angel and a demon together, Tragul, the spirit of balance entered the world of sanctuary and they didn't notice it. They were making the world with the world stone and they didn't notice Tragul entering it. How is that possible? I mean, virtually impossible, right? Yeah, but what if, and here's another thing. What if the reason we don't see Tragul in Diablo 4 is because he's dead? I remember death is a transformation mm -hmm. and he died at a very specific time. All along, I think that, that Anu has never sought to become back to what it was that has never been Anu's goal Anu wants to transform that's the whole point of what it did originally it we're it's presented to us as Anu took away everything that was corrupt and foul and hurled it aside but what if it's not that simple what if it wasn't it's not as easy as everything good and pure went into this one and everything corrupt and foul went into this one but also everything rigid and orderly went over here and everything chaotic and uncontrollable went over here. There's, there's more to this whole thing than just good and evil. There's more to it than law and order versus chaos and, and randomness. But those, those elements are all there and that's on purpose. That's by design. Uh, Anu wanted to be separate and it wanted to be more than it was. Joe's Joe uses the term to be more perfect. But what is perfection to an entity that once existed as a single point? 
a single place in existence, which was everything. And it decided oh, this is insufficient. It's like an artist who wants to fill a page. You got a blank page, wants to fill it, right? That's the mm -hmm. artistic mm -hmm. impulse. You want to put something down. I think the reason that Rothma views death as a transformation is because Tragul told him about the transformation of his own death when it happened. And it happened when Tyriel killed him, when he blew up the world stone, which was the eye of Anu, which was Tragul. Yeah. And you know, so that makes doing, a lot of sense, right? Yeah. In so doing, he made Anu more perfect. Because perfect doesn't just mean flawless. Perfect also means finished, final, the end. You don't get to be perfect until you are done. But with that same right, then, wouldn't that also necessitate the destruction, potentially, of all that is the high heavens and all that is the burning hells? Yes. Yes, it would, wouldn't it? Which would be fueled by the eternal conflict and the eternal desire mm -hmm. to destroy that? Or would be fueled by the creation of beings that could destroy them. Yeah, because the Nephilim can destroy them. Yeah. We We've know seen just one Nephilim, if you played just Diablo 3 as a campaign, one Nephilim managed to stand up and take out Diablo with the power of all of the evils, and then as a follow-up, an archangel with the power of all of the evils. So as, as Tyrael says, he can defeat, you know, or she can defeat in the case of my character, they, they can defeat the, the, the greatest champions of heaven and hell alike, but still within that heart beats a mortal chest. And it is that dichotomy that makes humanity far more than just the playthings that the devil seem to think we are and the nothing, you know, mindless muck that the angels think we are. Like there's a whole element in this story about how eventually like Lilith saw in humanity what she wanted to see, what she was able to see as a demon. She wasn't able to look at them and see all of it because she doesn't really possess half of it. And Inarius absolutely couldn't do it mm -hmm. because he also lacks the two of them together lack, but Lenarian Rathma could see it. And there's a reason as a Nephilim, that he chose to teach Mendeln in the Sin War. And Mendeln got to keep his memories of the Sin War alone of all living people at that time. Well, it's also interesting too, right? And I brought this up before that the the angels and the demons, the, the prime evils, the lesser evils, the archangels, they're all emotions, right? They're all concepts they're all things Emotions or concepts or ideals yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're singular they're, they're they're singular in their sort of purpose and when you get to the nephilim the nephilim are sort of the perfect combination of all of those things and then get context right because what mm -hmm. is what is justice justice can mean a million things uh to a nephilim to a living being to a a an, or a human which is still sort of the melding of those human, two things yeah. without the spark. Is, it's a Nephilim who doesn't quite know how to get the power yet. Yeah. It, it, it is still a Nephilim. They're a Nephilim that the battery hasn't been turned on yet. Yeah. Right. So like we, they, in a way, Anu is sort of realized in the creation of the Nephilim as being the most perfect unit. Right. Which is why it, at least. The it, word, yeah. The word perfect is, is one that has a lot of different meanings. In the, in the I'm, I'm air quoting it. Yeah. 
Well, no, but what you're talking about is exactly that. It's like before there is all this stuff, what does perfect mean when everything is one thing? Sure, it's perfect because there's nothing else. It's, there's nothing to compare it to. There's nothing to, to contrast with it. Whereas in order to get that context you're talking about, and it's a very good word to use, you have to take things away from the singular, singular point of all admixture and distill them down. You have to take mm. them away from each other so they can stand on their own and be contrasted to each other. So you give them that context. And in a way, the eternal conflict has always been a, a mindless battle, which is why the angels and demons began cracking and saying, this is ridiculous. It'll never end. As long as it was just them fighting it, it would never end, mm -hmm. which is to quote of all things, Futurama perfectly symmetrical violence, never solved anything. Like if you're the angels and the demons are perfectly symmetrical, there's no advantage either side has that the other side doesn't have a countervailing advantage in like, it may not be the same advantage, but Wherever this side is weak, this side is strong, and vice versa. And it just means that no matter how many demons you pour at the problem, the angels are going to cut through them. No matter how many angels you put around Pandemonium Fortress, the devils are eventually going to overwhelm them. And it will just keep happening because they can't do anything else. They, they, they don't have the ability to do it. And that's why Lilith and Inarius and their little rebellion is so fascinating. Because they're still angels and demons, but they did this thing. How did they do this? How did they become something other in this way? Something mentally other? And you're talking again, like the, the question, and I'm not going running away from the question here. The question about, is this uh, the eternal conflict just the original Anu trying to pull itself back together? No, this is the original Anu who is still Anu trying to push everything else forward. Not together, but forward. There's an evolutionary process here. Joe is exactly on the money with his talk about concepts and and context. Because an idea, what's the old? Uh, I think it's 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 Plato, but it's supposed it's him writing from the perspective of Socrates. The unexamined life is not worth living. That old philosophical context. But you can't examine a thing unless you have a way to look at it from a from not from it. What is the true nature of evil? How can you know what the true nature of evil is if it's always just everything is inside you? You're trying to look at your own attributes. What is the true nature of good? What is the true nature of any of this? The only way to look at it, the only way to understand it, is to remove yourself from it. And in death. Anu has done that. Anu is now a complete outsider that can look in on the whole cosmos and see all the stuff that used to be part of it and see how it works and what it does. And I think that the change in Lilith and in, in Arius and in others like them, the change in the, the demon lords even, and in the, the archangels, it is based on that idea that they are becoming more complex. Mm-hmm. The more they interact with humanity, the more that they have this, you know, this attempt to outmaneuver and outthink and do things that are not part of the original context of the eternal conflict, the more complex they get, the more complex the cosmos gets. And it is that complexity that is what Anu was always looking for. Anu wanted transformation. Anu has killed the universe several times now. The original universe before all this stuff was like a big white shell with just Anu in it. And then we got hell and heaven, P 
in Pandemonium and the Crystal Arch and then Sanctuary. And now Sanctuary possibly has all sorts of little mini worlds within it because the Worldstone fragments went everywhere. And the Worldstone fragments are like the uh, are literally like seeds. Like when you see a cloud, you know, when you when you fly through a cloud and you dump stuff in the in the clouds to get it to rain. Like you dump Worldstone fragments on a world and they start growing more world. There's all these, you know, and that's another thing Joe pointed out. You guys should go back and listen to the the, the Diablo thing we just did. Because a lot of the stuff Joe was saying, I was literally sitting here going, okay, tack that away. Ooh, tack that away. Ooh, tack that away. Because all of it comes down to this idea of death as a transformation. This idea that, that Liz dropped um, goes so well with Joe's idea of context. Because the transformation is the context. What Anu is is a evolving narrative of itself. And we are, like our characters, the, the world of Sanctuary is that narrative. Yeah, and you can see that too, like in little tiny touches, right? Like let's let's look at soul stones. Soul stones have to be attuned. They have to be attuned. Why do they have to be attuned? Especially soul stones that have already contained evils born of the same ilk, right? We just go through this in Diablo 4. Mild spoilers if you haven't completed the campaign. Uh, but I feel like we're far enough from release that that that's okay. You are literally using the tomb and essence of hatred to attune a new tomb, a uh, new uh, stone that housed an agent of hatred. Why do you have to do that? Why does the soul stone have to be attuned every time? Because to Matt's point, there's a constant evolution. They they are evolving. They're changing. They're different. They're not the same as the way they were before. You can see this with Tyrael, who did not go back to the crystal arch when he got blown up. He managed to remanifest himself essentially Dr. Manhattan style, but without the nuclear power and, and that simple act, like, and I shouldn't even call it simple, but in that act, in, in that sort of denial of going through the same processes he went through before, he then changed what he is. He like, that's sort of the whole root of Diablo four. And that's sort of the root of, all of the eternal conflict. It's all about change. It's all about tearing it down to build it back up in death is rebirth. And you can't have rebirth until you die. And every time you die, you come back different on We've killed on We've sent on back to the burning hells. On is wildly different than when we first dealt with her. Yeah, Look. because Andariel was a was like basically about, all about suffering, right? That's Andariel's thing: anguish, mm-hmm, mental mm-hmm. pain. But there's a difference. Like, how do you really feast on mental suffering when all you're fighting are angels who barely know what suffering is, mm-hmm. and whose death death means nothing to them because they'll just come back. And even if you torture them, like, yeah, okay, you can get some bring some suffering out of them then. But compare that to a human and all the ways humans can suffer. Like, Andariel would, like, th- that would have been a revelation to Andariel. Like, oh, oh, wow, they're suffering here just because this person, like, some other person they didn't even really know that well died, and they're suffering. And I can, I can feed on that. And imagine as Andariel is exposed to the reality of suffering, not the concept of suffering. It's like, it's, it's like a translation process, if you think about mm-hmm. it. It's like you're crossing a boundary going from a two-dimensional being to a three-dimensional being who now knows, oh, all this stuff exists. I mean, look at look at Diablo. Diablo, the titular character itself. How many evolutions has Diablo gone through? Yeah, Diablo starts off as a big thug, 
essentially, who just likes to scare things. And he becomes a, a plotter, at least smart enough to pull one over on every other evil. And, and that's not, that's pretty impressive considering that Mephisto is one of those evils and Mephisto is a thinker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but Diablo managed it. And Diablo has evolved, like, just kind of going through that, that brief history. In the first game, you descend into the crypts beneath the cathedral and, and Tristram. You find your way to Diablo. You kill Diablo. Uh, and what do you do? You shove him in a soul stone and then shove the soul stone in your brain. Um, Diablo then starts sort of driving around in the mech suit a little bit. Yeah, but uh, think about that. Think about what you're saying. And think about, I know, I know you know this. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure that you that you get it. Like it firmly in your head when you're thinking about it, you're a trans. What you are describing here is a transformation. Is it not just as a transformation? It's like it's like sure. It's really weird that Aiden did that, but think about what it was like for Diablo mm-hmm. to suddenly have a human's body and personality in his head. Like he goes off and he he creates Leia with with uh, Adria. We know how he did it the old fashioned way. You think demons have a lot of consensual sex? Like, not to put too far apart on this or get us into any warnings, but think about the difference that is—the the flavoring of that. Well, I the, mean, even then, do, can, do demons care about procreation? We know that at least one did, and that's Mephisto did, and his children are not the same. Correct. They're not the same as the other demons. Lilith is capable of con- of concepts that other demons are not. How is that possible? What is she? There is so much to this. And I love, I love your illustration of using Diablo here is, is it's brilliant because what that game is on one level, that game is us chasing after Diablo. Yes. Right. But on another level, that game is the adventures of Diablo in his weird sidekick. Well, that's Mario. Diablo too, right? Like we go, we go, yeah. we go like that. And that's where I'm kind of going with it. And Diablo too, he lets Marius live. Right. And, and we can argue that he understood that he would need him later but why Marius? Why that particular human? He could have found any other human. Literally any. He in the the, the romps of Diablo 2, there are so many other humans that die that he could have just plucked one and said, You want to live, go do this thing for me. But he chose Marius. Why? Was that some evolution and foresight in, in, into like the way humans are, knowing that Marius was the perfect emotional vessel for that? Because yeah, because Marius, Marius knows terror because he is afraid of everything. Marius knows hatred because he hates himself. Yep. And Marius absolutely knows destruction because he's destroying himself due to his own self-hatred. Marius lies to himself constantly. Yeah. He sins he's you literally find him in an opium den mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, anguish and you know anguish and pain you know he's got both of those and he isn't just it's not just that he has those things it's not like he, he doesn't just tick boxes he experiences them in a way like diablo doesn't know fear he just uses fear but once you put him in aiden's body he will at least know what aiden knows of mm-hmm he will know what it is to be mortal, even as he isn't. It's it's interesting to think about this, that all of this stuff, everything that happens to Sanctuary and everything that happens because of these forces is forced to change. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about. So, yeah, you're definitely right on that. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting. And go back and if you play those games, if you read the books or read the synopsis, like just 
look at Diablo through that context and how Diablo has changed and evolved and then start applying that to the other prime evils, right? Because we're dealing with that now in Diablo 4. Mephisto has absolutely evolved and changed their perspective on on how the world works uh, or what its role in the world is. And I think that's going to be something that we need to watch moving forward with future expansions and future content as well. So getting back to the root of the question, is the eternal conflict just Anu trying to pull itself back together? No, it's Anu trying to pull itself apart because I mean, pull itself apart. a little mean, but that is, you can't make something until you have the parts. Yes. You know, and I think Anu wants to make a thing and we're seeing here is the constant painful iteration process of making a world like the reason that the world stone doesn't just didn't just go around making worlds willy nilly was because making a world is hard and it requires something from both sides. You you can't think about trying to be a creator, a creator of things and not have arrogance and maybe a little spite and, and knowing anguish and knowing these things is, is inherently part of using them. Like art is all about emotion, right? So that's that's something to think about as we look at what Anu is do, has done or is doing or maybe did is that Anu looked at the existence and saw it was empty and its first act was to rip itself apart and fling its heart, you know, out into the void of of everything. Fair. So that, that, you know, that's there's something to be said for this. I I, I do like the idea. But hopefully that answers your question. Uh, but I know you have another question here. We're going to answer. We're going to ask that one real quick, uh, which is how much is a gold coin really worth on Sanctuary? Bugs drop it. Bugs, Akarat's sake. Ret catchers must get their lunch money from just checking their traps. Money in Diablo is always a weird esoteric concept because it depends on what culture you're dealing with, what section of the world you're in, and what part of the hierarchy you're at. Gold has value because it is a precious coin and commodity, sure, but so do gems, so do items, uh, so do generic bartering system. It kind of is as valuable as the spot you're in at that moment in time, if I understand my Diablo any uh, at all, which is to say, yes, sometimes you can find a couple pieces of gold inside of a bug or a rat or whatever, but that doesn't mean that it is still so prevalent that even the peasants have millions of gold that they can just spend on whatever they want. Um, what was it that there was, there was a description of, of inflation where it was, if the cost of bread is a thousand dollars because everybody has a thousand dollars to spend on bread, is there really any value in the thousand dollars anymore? I mean, the value of bread. Exactly. That's exactly, you know, I mean, that's the thing about, currency in general is it is the reason that our characters get so much money is because the things we do with the money get ridiculously expensive as we get up in level i mean i'm sure you've noticed this um so in one way it's a it's a game mechanic in another way in lore you don't have the the 30 million gold that you have on your current character if you're playing diablo 4 you don't actually have that much money it's just there to represent you know the cost of the things you're doing to your gear and the things you're doing with your stats. Like when you, when you respec your character, you don't actually hand gold to anyone. You know what I mean? Because it's like, 
I mean, you're respecting. You're just literally standing there in, in the town square for a little bit, thinking about, well, I'd rather be able to throw lightning out of my hands. Maybe I don't want to, like, you know, make earthquakes as much. Maybe I'd rather be throwing lightning. Yeah, I'll throw lightning more often. You don't actually pay anybody for that. You know, this is just a game mechanical way to represent that. However, from a lore perspective, gold would probably vary greatly depending on where the heck you were. Like, think about it this way. 90% of humanity died 50 years ago. 90%. Whole nations have broken up. Look at the mesk that, that Kedjistan is. Like, its original capital city of Kurast is gone. No one even really knows where it is. I don't even think it's represented in the lands we get to see when we go to Kedjistan. I think those are all too far north. And we've, we've yet to see the south of Kedjistan. So keep that in mind. But also, like, look at this, like... Chaldeum is, is basically a monster infested wasteland with a few holdout spots. All the towns around it are like little, like the biggest one is Giacua, which is like, what a port. It's like, it's like an entry port. Like this wouldn't even rank in the top 20 cities of, of Kedjistan before Diablo two. And if you think about it, if you go back from the events of Diablo to the advance of Diablo four, we're looking at about, I think close to about hundred to 120 years all told. Like if you go from each game, in that 120 years, most of the human race died and many civilizations got utterly destroyed. Like when we last saw, um, oh, bloody heck, it's the city from, Dia from uh, Diablo 3 Act 5. West March? West yes, March. West March. Yep. When we last see West March, uh, a moron just assassinated the king thinking he'd get to take over. And then angels basically blew up half the city and killed most of the people. That's and that's before uh, Malthiel black deaths everyone. He pulls their half their souls out. Is there even a kingdom there anymore? Like, is Condorus basically just a few fishing villages and farming towns now? Like, what we don't even know what that continent looks like right now. So, it it's quite possible that in terms of what gold is actually doing in the Diablo universe as of Diablo Four. It might be one of those cases where literally there's enough wealth buried that it would be totally easy if you were willing to risk getting disemboweled and eaten by whatever the heck is out there to find tens of thousands of gold pieces. Like another way to put this is who is minting gold right now? Mm -hmm. Is the church, is the cathedral of light minting gold? Cause there's no, the fractured peaks don't have a nation other than the cathedral of light. There's no central authority. There's no over king. There's no even king. The Fractured Peaks don't even have a nation name. You know, they just call themselves the Fractured Peaks. Um, the Dry Steps technically has a name. It just, they don't use it there. And the, the, the kings of that area are gone. They've been, you know, literally turned into soup pots uh, for the soup made out of them. So they're not, they're not doing any minting. If you find gold coins, they are probably from the previous. Century. Oh yeah. They have to be. Yeah. Cause I mean, even Cal, even like, you know, Chaldeum's not going to be doing anything. Kedjistan as a whole, there might be a mint left in Giyakua, but I don't think so. And, and Hazawar, I mean, why would they be? But, but again, like the, and those nations are dealing with other things, right? Like they don't mm -hmm. really necessarily care about the minting of money well, versus, yeah, what, versus they can do what they need with barter right yeah absolutely they've got the other problems and metals but, are and metals are better put towards instead of making currency or coin 
patching armor, patching you know weapons. Which you're patch- not going to do with gold anyway. No, but you are. But you might use it for ritual stuff. Who you knows? might use it for ritual stuff, but even without but, the gold, like you might find other coin too, because one yeah. one could assume that there was once silver and copper or other precious metals used in currency and bartering as well. And, and that's another thing to think about. Considering the Cathedral of Light's only been around this time for about fifty years, that's some fancy ass like you know stuff on the ground in front of the cathedral, isn't it? Oh yeah, they use a, like you can see it's a lot of their inlays, a lot of their iconography seems to be made out of the glittering gold. Yeah, so they're definitely using this stuff, and we know there's like a lot of the dungeons you go to are the ruins of previously inhabited places, mm-hmm. and that's it. Would it makes sense that when you go there you find money there. You know, it, it may not be the case that a bug out in the fractured peaks on a hill, I don't think they give a lot of money. Like, I, I honestly feel like the gold value of their bodies could well just be the value of their physical bodies, like the components that contained within. Like if you go into town and sell the, the shells to an alchemist, we just streamline that. Instead of you having to carry back all the garbage, the game just gives you the money. Yeah. You know, I believe but that's a more accurate representation. But in terms of like what gold is doing, what is a gold coin really worth? A gold coin is worth the value of the metal. And that's about it because there's nobody backing it. There's nobody saying, you know, you know, gold, this gold coin is the currency of our nation and all merchants within the nation, you know, must accept it as tender. For all we know, there are merchants who straight up. And in fact, we know there are merchants who straight up won't take it. Like the, the this the mysterious Obels guy. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, the Obels people. So I do think that this is an interesting question. It's not one that I think the game is really particularly thinking about, but it is one that's fun to think about if if you like you know playing around with ideas. Because yeah, where is the gold even coming from? Yeah, and I mean, and I would and I would assume, and and this is something I thought about thanks to uh, Daikaiju with this question. I do think that it's all leftovers because with 90% of humanity gone in that course of the 50 years, right? All you're doing is picking up the pieces. That's all they've been doing. They've been moving into ruins. They've been trying to re redo pockets of, of humanity, yeah, trying to reestablish trade game. routes. Yeah. It is essentially a fallout game. You're yeah. But and, I mean, and the thing is, is, it's like if in a fin fallout, instead of bottle caps becoming the new currency, it's like if they just kept using quarters and dimes and nickels, but, you know, what was the quarter worth? Well, whatever anyone will take for it, you know, it's kind of like that. So I think that's going to answer that question for now. Uh, we're going to move on to the next one, which comes from our friend Galari. Uh, I went into a new dungeon south in the swamp, lore heavy one, and there was the same type of blood tentacles as the one up north that got me thinking, are they connected to Lilith? Can they be part of a bigger organism? And if it's the same, how big is it? So for context, as you go through Diablo dungeons or content and things like that, blood is the theme, right? The blood has always been the theme since the very opening cinematic, since we were first revealed the game, where it is by the blood of uh, humans or, you know, depowered Nephilim that Lilith has brought back from her exile to sanctuary proper. Um Everything we see revolves around the blood. As Matt has pointed out many, many times, the blood is the key. We see these tentacles that look very fleshy, very organic, very alive in a lot of dungeons, in a lot of places, in a lot of the underground. And what that means, I don't know that we actually know. So, Matt, do you have any theories about what these are? Because I have one, 
but I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sold on it yet. The first time you see those tentacles and stuff you're talking about is when you are chasing after Lilith uh, towards the temple, the necropolis of the firstborn. Every dungeon you see them in afterwards is one that is old. Like it's like the forbidden city dungeon has them in it. Uh, several others do as well. Um, they're all old. They're all possibly, ancient, yeah. yeah, possibly the ancients themselves, the, the Nephilim, the same ones that built these, the town, when you are in Diablo three and act five and you're chasing after Adria, you go to an ancient Nephilim city. That's full of weird tentacles and stuff. You just, you know, very similar art style. And you chase Adria down to this pool that she's using. And when you fight her, she starts making giant blood bubbles pop out of the pool, mm-hmm. which, which is certainly familiar. If you have ta- seen any of the stuff we've seen so far, which makes you wonder, was Adria still working for Diablo at that point? Or had she switched paymasters? Um, considering Diablo himself wasn't in any position to be giving her orders. And that's something to think about when you think about the, the, the temple you're talking about is the one that Rathma himself went to, to talk about his vision. It's the one that Elias followed him to and found out the secret of immortality. So I think it is where Rathma communicated with the being the serpent, tragul, whatever you want to call it, that was helping him along on his journey. In most, in most, in many mythological systems in the real world, snakes, ophidians, are a symbol of rebirth mm-hmm. because they shed their skins, and a whole new snake comes out, and the old skin is left behind, and it's, that serves as a metaphor for the idea of rebirth. You know, you become something new, something better. Uh, I think that you are looking at the shed metaphysical skin of the being that that was teaching Rathma. And one of the interesting things is if you go back to the book of Cain, the the one the, the original illustrated book that came out for Diablo 3, in it there is a picture of Rathma as seen by the cho- by the uh you know the priests of Rathma, the ne- the necromancers. In it he's a dragon. Mm-hmm. He looks in fact a lot like the serpent that you meet outside of the tree of whispers. An enormous long serpentine serpentine being. So if that being Rathma, do you meet Rathma in Diablo four? Is that him? Let's just put a pin in that for now. But I think that the, everything you're talking, you see everything you experience when you go to those places, all that stuff is essentially like, it's the It's, it's kind of like the objective correlative of what's happening. It is the decaying remnants of the world that died when the when the world stone died it's yeah. it's this junk and to a degree it's also a revelation that the place you're in is not fully real in the same way that sanctuary is like think about all the stuff the ancients could do like they they could move mountains they you know it's talked about over and over again they were like gods and you can't what you know a god to, to quote another game, a god is a verb. You know, a god isn't just someone stands around and talks about what a god they are. A god is a verb. Asu, uh, the 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 uh, ancient who created the Zan Esu clan, who is one of the first mage clans. The Zan Esu learned learned to reach inside themselves and through their own connection to the world around them, pull forth raw elemental force. They just made it happen, and they did that because of the gift that they got from from being you know the being what they were being connected to to 
every aspect of existence. Yeah. So and look at the Druids under Fiacla Giar. I promise I'll shut up after this, but the Druids under Fiacla Giar learned how to reach out to the world itself and say, you know, what you're doing is, is unbalanced. It's disorganized. In a way, druids and necromancers are very much like the same thing, but for different states of existence. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So go ahead. No, no I was going to say along the same lines, like I was thinking about this in terms of what is sanctuary. Sanctuary is a land or a, a world, a universe, a pocket of the universe that was created using the Eye of Anu, the world stone. It was used by the combination of powers between the angels and the demons uh, in order to make it manifest, which means it is the most complete potential use of it uh, that we've ever seen, where a being that is of both parts uh, or, or beings comprised of both parts went together and, and did it, which is why Sanctuary has persisted where none of the other worlds created with it have. And I, that's a hill I will die on. I believe that that, that is why it persists. Um, but when you look at it, what does that mean? Worlds created by the power of Anu seem to have a living essence about them. Even the burning hells in the high heavens have sort of like a weirdly organic feel about them. When you go into the hells, what does it look like in every instance that we've gone there? It's fleshy, organic. It's it's almost as if it's been melded from repurposed bodies essentially and the high heavens if you think about it are very much the same except that body just happens to be made out of crystal instead and light and light what if what we're seeing isn't necessarily the decay of the being tragul or the decay of the world itself Wait, what I meant, I meant more like slothed off snakeskin. That's where I was going. Yeah, yeah. But what if it's not that? What if this is just the inner workings of the world that we've never seen before? These places that we're going to, these dungeons, these places, especially the one in the swamp, uh, especially the uh, the city of the first ones. I'm sorry, the um, tomb of the first, of the Nephilim, uh, which is where all of the Nephilim, the original Nephilim, were supposed to be in tour, in, in, in entombed or interred. These are deep places that we've never been to. These are places tied to sort of the fabric of reality in their respective places. That dungeon in the swamp, we talk about this, the swamp itself might be a pocket dimension. And if that is such, when we start diving into the deep places and start looking at the connective tissue of it, that might be what this actually is. And it's not necessarily an aspect of Lilith or Mephisto or any of the angels but of sanctuary itself and they can just manipulate it because well that's what we've seen them do that's why we can interact with it it might also not be visually like that for anybody else it might only be that way for people that are i don't want to say enlightened but closer those to their nephilim able to see it yeah those yeah. are able to see it because again we go back to this whole the blood is the key 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 of sanctuary Sanctuary is a living entity in and of itself. It has existed and persisted for how long through countless tragedies, through all these things that happened. And this may be us physically seeing the metaphorical lifeblood of sanctuary or the offshoot pocket dimensions, such as the, the swamps uh, in a way that others cannot. 
and I'm wondering if maybe that's part of it because towards the end of Diablo four, there's a question of whether or not your character is a Nephilim and you very well may be because you have a divine spark, but also I don't think any of the NPCs really mention any of the, the bloody stuff when you're going through them. They mention the demons, they mention the, the, the deep dankness of the space, but well, it, plus, I mean, some of the most overt signs of it are only seen when you're there or only seen like, when you're there by yourself. That's what I mean. Like when you, it's just you, like, uh, what's her name? Nero, uh, when Nero, Nero, when Nero accompanies you, none of that stuff you. is there. Yeah, Nero stops and is like, I got to get deal with my mother. You've, you're going to have to go on without me. And that's when you cross over to the actual necropolis of the firstborn. And that's when you start seeing, and some of that's clearly influenced by Lilith as well. Like Lilith has created the, these tumors in the structures around you. Oh yeah, for sure. You have to go cut them out. So that's there too. But if anyone could do that, Lilith should be able to do that since she's one of the two people that created the world. But also to, to go back to what you were saying and, and to look at it from a slightly different angle, pandemonium. Mm-hmm. In Diablo three, when you're running around pandemonium, it is a rocky, inhospitable, barren place, right? But you end up going inside all sorts of tunnels and holes, and there's those giant entities that burst out of it. And inside, it's it's winding tunnels and pathways and fire. It's like halfway to hell, but it's often described as scar tissue. Like in the original cosmological description of Pandemonium, it's actually called the scar tissue of the battle between the yeah, Diamond yeah, that's right. and Catholic. And it, it looks like a big scab. It looks like a scar on existence. And so that's something to think about when you're thinking about this idea, whether or not it's like some kind of, I still think, I still think right now, my theory is still based on the idea that, that you are looking at scar tissue. When you are looking at those tentacles, you're looking at like the, the snake skin being shed or another way to put it would be, you're looking at previous times the snake skin was, was snake skin was shed. Because the world has been changing and growing this whole time, you know, and, and it hasn't always been the way it was. There was the mage wars. There was the, the sin war. Lots of stuff has happened to sanctuary. Lots and of scars. Like a tree that has rings inside of it. You know, when you cut through across the tree, you can actually see, okay, here's a growth ring. Here's a growth ring. Here's a growth ring. I think there is a certain element of that too, which is why I find the tree of whispers so fascinating. Because mm-hmm. the tree of whispers does seem to be a, de- a a deliberately alien presence. It's not of heaven or hell. It doesn't seem to be particularly of sanctuary. Uh, it certainly isn't so, like the, something the Druids would talk to, but it is something the witches make pacts with. And it kind of feels like a mirror to the Druidic thing. Druids, Druids, Necromancers and witches. I hope witches become playable at some point. They all seem to do the similar kind of thing in different areas. Mm-hmm. And the way that, that the tree of whispers and witches work, seems very much to dance in the interplay between conflicting existences in a way that's, that's fascinating that I would love to hear more about. Well, hopefully that answers that question. We could talk about that for a little bit longer. I am confident, but I think we're going to move on to the next question here, which is a bit of a rant, bit of a question. Uh, and this one comes from Horex. Uh, I just finished the main story uh, some mild spoilers ahead. Uh, if you haven't finished the game, yeah, uh, I'll give you a quick countdown. Three, two, one, spoil. 
I just finished the main story and I'm unhappy about having to kill Lilith. The story did nothing to make me dislike her, but reinforced that the angels are just as much of blanks as the demons. They hate humanity and want us gone too. Tyriel could have spoken to Anarius, but they didn't because they don't like Sanctuary. Uh, Lilith wanted to end the conflict and win. She wanted to rule over it all, but at no point did she want to kill all humans. Both other sides did. I know there's more and they're going to do expansions with the primes, but I feel the better call would have been made, but it would have been to have her flee our character and chase the stone continue and maybe show a reason to kill her other than demon bad, despite the fact that demon is the mother of humanity. Uh, one thing, Tyrael doesn't speak to Anarius, not because he hates sanctuary. He doesn't hate sanctuary. As a matter of fact, he's probably one of the only ones that doesn't hate sanctuary. Um, uh, I mean, he gets I, called I, back. I had a conversation about this with Liz, and I wish Liz was here because then she could just tell you about it. But I'll I'll, I'll give you the, the bare bones. It isn't just Tyrael amongst the the angels of the Injurious Council and other angels for that matter who are conflicted or even like thinking, you know, these these beings are not just half demon. The other half is angel. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be treating them like this. Uh, in um, both faith and hope. Um, not faith. Which one is it's a, I always get them wrong. It's uh, fate and hope. Uh, Oriel and Ethariel. They were both pretty pro human. Like the Nephilim showed up and they were like, yes, good. This is good. Uh, the, the, I think Ethariel's the fate one or is it Oriel? Oriel. Oriel straight up says, I can't see your fate at all. And it's great. You know, the, 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 we have fate. We know exactly what's going to happen to us, but you don't have that. You can choose what happens to you. You can cause what happens to you. You know, maybe not all of it, because every one of you can do it. So there's lots of back and forth there, but that's great compared to us. They were ex- excited to see us. So it isn't all angels, but the ones that do hate us do. Like, you know, Imperius is looking for a reason. He always Imperius was. Imperius to wipe out humanity. He has always wanted to. Well, and to be but, fair, it's because he, 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 we are we are a weapon. Yeah, and he wants it gone, so it's not used against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrael originally didn't, didn't view us any better than Imperius did. In fact, he hated humanity so much that Imperius thought it, he'd be a slam dunk to vote to wipe them out. It was watching the events of the Sin War. It was watching what a Nephilim did, Odyssean, the sacrifice he made that made Tyrael realize it's not just to view all of these beings as, as if their origins are all that matter about them. It's not just to destroy them before they've done anything. And that's, to me, that goes back to what I was saying before about how contact with an actual, real, moving, living world changes them. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't I don't think that's fair. First off, uh, the the view of of angels here, it's certainly true that there are a lot of angels who treat us treat humans like cattle, and there are quite a few of them that would be totally okay with killing us. We just saw that angels have a lot of bad apples, but they have more good apples than the demons do. There are very few rebellious demons that want to be good and help people. I mean, and. You're talking about Lilith. Lilith, you know, sure, she wants to rule, but she doesn't want to kill all humans. No, but she did stab a soul stone into Yorin's forehead, she also- knowing it would destroy him in agony just because she knew that the thrill of getting to use the son of his enemy's body would mean that the the charred duke would totally agree with her plan. And not only that, but like she also is very she doesn't really care. She can make more. 
right? Like that's we don't necessarily matter. And she sort of says this even in her confrontation with uh, Anarius, right? It's you know, and even when we're trapped in the the scrying eye, uh, the sightless eye realm with her, you know, looming over us, it's. You know, many will die. Yes, that's that's absolutely accurate. But the strong will survive, and then there will be more, right? It's because that strong will then be able to stand against the the heavens and hells, and then will reproduce, and their offspring will continue to be as powerful as they were, and so on and so forth. She yeah, doesn't. The world's not there to stop them. Yep, exactly. The world zone's gone. There, there's nothing to turn the power off again. And in fact, the power's been slowly creeping back this entire time, or at least we see evidence of that. Um, but like, she doesn't really care. She could have, she could have saved humanity. The demons that follow in her wake are not, you know, sparing us. You go through and you're seeing them tear apart the children of sanctuary. You're seeing Mm -hmm. them kill people. These are demons sworn to her. So yeah, they just want to be on the winning side and she just wants to win. Yes. That is that is what I think you should keep in mind with it is she is not she is the game actually does quite a bit to make you not like her. If you pay attention, it or is very easy to ignore that. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even even if you liking her outside, you can admire Lilith for a lot of things and still realize that at the end of the day, she is no better than the people that, you know, she's not better than Mephisto. She's not better than Anarius. She's not worse than them either, but why should humanity bow to any of them? The, the, the real message, I think, is the, of all people, the true hero and visionary of the Diablo series is Zoltan Kuhl. Yeah. Um, who himself is a psychotic, evil person, but who understands that angels and demons do not care about us for the most part. They do not have our best interests at heart, and they will use us as pawns in their eternal war unless we stop them. And he's the one who never lies when you interact with him. There is never a lie that comes out of his mouth. He always tells the truth. He always says, you know, I, I what I want is to continue my research. I want to like make an even better soul stone and imprison all of them. I want to like rule this world to keep it safe. You know, he's not, he's not a good person. And it's also not a good idea to have that guy in charge. But at the same time, you know what I'm saying? Like in the end of the day, the best move is the one Lorath is suggesting where mm-hmm. F, you know, F all of them, you know, we definitely don't trust Lilith and we don't let Lilith do her plan. We're certainly not going to trust Mephisto and do anything he wants us to do. And we're sure as heck not going to let Anarius run the show because none of these people care about us and none of them are stable. Like, you know, Anarius is, I you can feel really bad for Anarius and still think he's an utter jerk. Oh yeah. Like, to, to quote Lorath again, you know, no one ever told you, tells you that, you know, spending thousands of years being tortured in hell makes you a bit of an arse. But, you know, yeah, I, Lilith, it's a very complicated and interesting character. Um, and she's not human and she does not have our mindset. So that has to be kept in mind. Mm-hmm. But it is fascinating to see how she is not a stock, you know, she's not a stock evil here who just wants to destroy mm-hmm. for the sake of it. She has a plan and she wants to execute it. And also the other thing that I'd like to point out here too, is you're making the assumption that she's dead, dead. And we don't oh, know. Yeah, we don't know that she's dead, dead because how many times have we dead, deaded uh, Mephisto or uh, Andario or Duriel or Diablo, Diablo himself three times now. <laughs> yeah. 
and yet they always seem to come back and we are not a fully powered up nephilim yet we can't control reality uh we can definitely influence things and we definitely have the ability to see things in a way that others don't but we're not you know we're not mendel we're not we're not the nephilim of old we can't even the one from diablo 3 yet yeah we we are still nascent at best and so when we defeat her in hell mind you in her father's domain of hatred where we have just scooped out his essence and shoved it into a soul stone so he's not there anymore or at least whatever collected essences he had there are not there anymore who's to say she doesn't reform who's to say she doesn't reform more powerful than before in her father's domain she is the daughter of hatred Mm-hmm. And for that matter, we don't see her like when she does the whole thing, she just vanishes in like a cloud of those rose petals. You know, who's to say that's a dead dead? She, maybe she just moved herself somewhere where we weren't and, and you know, got back to re knitting together. You know, it's not like she couldn't, you know, demons tend to do that regardless. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be great. I mean, from, a, from our perspective, sure. You know, it looked like she died, but you know, who knows what that even looks like. But I mean, like. that's also the whole point of why we were trying to forge the soul stone in the first place. Yeah. The reason we saw soul stones, you know, as, as Liz pointed out, they're a terrible weapon that don't work, but they're the best option we have because you can't just kill a demon. Yeah. And like the only reason that we were dealing with like, uh, not a fully reformed Diablo or a fully reformed Mephisto, uh, or Belial at this point is because they were in a shown the stone that was shattered and their essences are sort of split. Right. And yes, we, they we have to recollect literally what we're told Mephisto is doing. Yes. And what, what didn't we do with Lilith? We didn't shove her into a stone and then scatter her essence to the, the uh, corners of all creation. No, we just, even, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. As I say, we just, we just turned her to stone question mark. We just beat her down. So she extended all of her power, which I think, I think that's more accurate. I think that she's not actually dead. Her battery just ran out. We, I want to remind people of the of the uh, the the whole thing we were trying to do in Diablo two, which was to beat the the, the three primevals, get their soul stones, take their soul stones to Pandemonium Fortress, and shatter them. Why? If the, if what is the reason to do that? Is it going to kill them? It certainly doesn't seem like that was what it would do. Would Tyrael necessarily know that? Maybe not. But he is an angel. He probably has at least some idea of what these things do, considering he's the one who taught the Horadrim how to use them. And the reason that Malthiel was able to use the Black Soul Stone is because Malthiel is the one who studied the World Stone in the first place. He's he's Heaven's version of of Mephisto in a way. Wisdom is the is the guy who thinks. So he was the one who studied everything. So what were they going for with this? What was the gambit? Was the gambit to do exactly what we see has happened to them in Diablo 4? When in Diablo 3, when the Black Soul Stone is shattered and their essences fly or throughout creation, was that the goal? I I say yes. But I've been saying that since we, we talked about this during the Diablo episodes. Again, mm-hmm. go back and listen to them. It makes the most amount of sense because their influence is still seen everywhere. They're not gone. Yeah. And that's the thing to think about. You pointed out that there's the, the planes of hatred or the fields of fields hatred, of hatred. And the fields of hatred are basically completely suffused with the essence of, of Mephisto from stuff he did. And we don't like, you know, why is that? Is that because that's where his power has been collecting to be returned? As long as hatred exists, does, does the Lord of hatred exist? And, and 
think about what all this stuff means in terms of what we're going to see in the future. Like Ball and you know Ball and Diablo are gonna come back, and so are you know Belial and Asmodon and Duriel and Andariel, who have kicked it in like multiple Diablo games now, mm-hmm. and they just always come back because suffering and pain and sin and lies are very commonplace. Mm-hmm. As long as those things keep happening, so will they. Yeah, I mean, you can literally just go to any of the camps. People still live in terror. People still are, there's still this drive for destruction. They still lie to each other. There's still this burning hatred. Like, you can do these side quests when you're in um, the dry steps and, and between the Iron Wolves and the Bandits. And that is a heck of a quest line when you talk about portraying all of those evils in, you know, living form. Because... Mm-hmm. It's there, all of it, between the two of them. Uh, there's so much going on here that that I don't, again, I don't think it's genuine to say that Lilith is dead because I don't think she can die. Not for yeah, as yeah. long as Sanctuary exists. Not for as long as the burning hells and high heavens exist. Can they, do I believe that they can truly die? So, or until a Nephilim comes along and uncreates them, like, you know, uh, a certain uh, a certain one did in the Sin War books. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's going to do it. Unless you have any other parting thoughts for us, Matt? Oh my God, do I have other parting thoughts? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stop myself from saying them because there's just so much, man. There is, and it's a game that keeps giving it to us, and we're going to see more in the future, especially as uh, we've been told that seasonal content will have story content. Uh, we're told that there are expansions in the works. There's a lot more to come. Diablo is is now nowhere near done and finished, and there's still more to unravel. Werewolf, werewolf, werewolf. Werewolf, werewolf, werewolf. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means that this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. If you have any questions for us, if you want to ask, ask us more Diablo questions, feel free to send those in. Podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it's for. Uh, you can also hit us up on Discord. We have the Q and podcast questions channel for everybody to drop their questions in. And if you are a Patreon supporter, as a way of saying thank you for helping us keep the lights on, we have the Patreon Q and podcast questions channel where we tend to look first for these questions uh yeah just a little little extra bonus but with that folks we'll see you next week hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.